Hello and welcome to the Power and the Key podcast. I'm your host, Neil Winterton, and joining me on the line as he does every week, it's Ben Cad. How are you, Caddy? Good evening, Neil, and what another interesting week, um, not only in the NBA, but across the world with COVID and uh, crazy weather and lockdowns here in Melbourne. So we just continue to try and just roll with the punches and uh, take each day as it comes. That's all you can do, mate. It certainly is a crazy world uh, this time. So we're going to jump straight into what we're going to call the worry meter. So we're going to discuss a couple of topics and and say how worried we are on a scale of 1 to 10. 10 being your house is on fire and you're going to push everyone out of the way, George Costanza style, to get out the door first. And one being, you know, the milk's a day, day over it's used by day, but you're probably still going to use it anyway because it's not going to matter all that much. So we'll jump into the first subject, which is the Milwaukee Bucks. So they're 7 and 13, third in the East, but uh, worryingly their last six games, they're only 1 and 5. Where did you fall on them, Caddy? They're um, an interesting test case. With They've been such a dominant regular season team over the past few years, and they've kind of got to the playoffs and things have fallen apart for them. So... This year, they did come out of the blocks reasonably well, and it's just been the last fortnight or so here. They've kind of fallen back. They're now third in the East. Um, and as you mentioned, they've uh, dropped one of their, oh, sorry, only one of their last six games. So all those games have coincided with Drew Holiday not being available. And obviously, he's such a, a key piece, particularly at the defensive end for the Bucks. So I'm not overly concerned at this stage. I'd be sitting, you know, probably right in the middle of your, of your worry meter there. I mean, concerning to the fact that they haven't really been able to display any kind of uh, defensive strength, you know, with Holiday out of the lineup, and, you know, they're getting scored on really easily and, and the defence just isn't holding up. Uh, the bench unit they've basically brought in this year, you know, isn't really functioning at a level they'd like to see. Um, obviously, Bobby Portis wasn't brought in for his defence. DJ Augustine is another one that has come in and doesn't offer anything on, on that side of the ball and bring Forbes as well in the guard spot. So, you know, the that's got to be a that's got to be a massive concern, doesn't it? The guys that they did bring in this year, this year, yes, they're going to help them offensively, but defensively they, they leave a lot to be desired. Yeah, look, and the Milwaukee Bucks were the number one defense, in, you know, in terms of defensive rating in last, you know, last season's regular season. So, look, they have slipped to ninth this year. So, it, it is a drop. Look, I'd be worried if they were slipping, you know, outside the top 15, but they are still there sitting inside the top 10, which you discussed a few Weeks ago is a real key metric in terms of you know trying to win a championship. You want to at least have a top ten defense. So they are kind of still sitting in that in that zone, and um, albeit you know the majority of the season, Drew Holiday has been a part of that lineup, and it's just been the last fortnight or so that he hasn't been there, and that defense has really been found out. So certainly a concern from that point of view. I mean, the other concern I have around Milwaukee is probably just the offense. You know, when things slow down and you get needing to rely on uh, Giannis to sort of create his own shot or you know hit shots late in the shot clock if he hasn't been able to get through to the paint or find a shooter out on the wing. So when the playoffs come and you know we see so much more of the basketball in the half court, their offense to me still um, is a bit of a concern just around the lack of shooting um, from the outside that Giannis has got. And even when he does get into the lane, he gets fouled. The free throw shooting is another problem there as well. So, you know, look, in terms of making the playoffs and being a top four seed, I've got absolutely no worries. So, you know, they've still got plenty of time to try and turn it around and, and find the right mix and whether that's another move to be made to strengthen their bench unit or a, another sort of scorer that they can bring in uh, to help on the offensive end, um, you know, that remains to be seen. But, look, it, it is a concern they've dropped these games so quickly. However, you know, they've still got plenty of time. They're still sitting quite comfortably towards the top end of the Eastern Conference. So I'm not overly concerned at this stage. Yeah, for me, I'm not overly concerned that they're going to be a top four seed. I still clearly think they're going to be a top four seed in the East. A couple of those 
those losses there. They did lose by 14, 11 and 14 points. So that's obviously concerning as well. But uh, for me, the worry meter is pretty high if they're trying to be a championship contender. For me, when you look at their roster, they've really only got three guys that you trust in a playoff setting, and that's Giannis, uh, Middleton and Drew Holiday. I'm not really sure what their closing five would be. So obviously you lock those three in. The other two spots for me are really up in the air. Uh, Dante DiVincenzo has come in as a starter, and he he hasn't quite lived up to to what they would have hoped. He's he's at nine point eight points a game, four point six rebounds, and two point eight assists. Uh, he's only got a twelve point eight per. They bought him in; they thought he'd be a, a you know a reasonable defender for them. But he's really a below average defender. He gets beaten off the dribble quite comfortably. So I'm not sure he can be part of your closing five in a playoff setting. Brook Lopez, obviously, he he's a He's a really good defender, has been in the past. Now, his blocks are down last year from 2.4 to 1.4, so he's probably lost a little bit a little bit of athleticism. So they generally tend to go small with Giannis at the five, so that, uh, late in playoff, late in games, late in big games, and you'd expect them to do that in a playoff setting as well. So that rules him out. So then you start looking at you know who they brought in this year, DJ Augustine, Bryn Forbes, and Bobby Portis. Now, you spoke about those, those guys. Portis in particular can offer quite a bit offensively, but... He's a sieve uh, defensively. Same with Augustine. He's he's only 5'10", 5'11", at best. So he can he can be scored against as well. And Bryn, Bryn Forbes is the same. Then you look further down the roster, you're looking at Pat Connaughton or Torrey Craig. Now, Torrey Craig's a really good defender, but doesn't give you much, much offensively. So my concern for them is if they're – and they obviously want to be – you know, an East contender that they didn't they didn't give away all their players and all these draft picks to bring in Drew Holiday to be just an also run amongst the the East playoff team. So my my worry meter for them is pretty high because I just can't see who who the other two uh, players are going to be in that closing five. So can you see a situation where they've got room to make another move uh, prior to potentially the trade deadline, or are they going to be solely relying on the um, buyout market to try and add add some further depth to the roster? Well, there's no doubt they're going to be trying to be really active in that buyout market. I can't see how they're going to be able to add too much because they gave up pretty much all their their foreseeable draft assets to get Drew Holiday in. Now maybe they can they can give away a pick swap or something like that to get somebody in. I'm not sure who that would be. I haven't got anyone jumping out at the moment, but there's there's no doubt they're going to try and add. But it's probably going to be very difficult given how much they did give up for Holiday. Yeah, and look at you know just when you you've got a couple of buzz teams as well, just that have crept up towards the top of the Eastern Conference now with Philadelphia and also Brooklyn, who have really started uh, gelling really well together. They got on the the end of a five game win streak at the moment, so you know they have really fallen down the pecking order a little bit in terms of the teams that you know we're really talking about it, particularly in the East. So for a team that dominated the regular season the past couple of years, they they were able to sign. Uh, Gianna to that max extension, which was huge news in the off season. But you know, you, you would be worried as a Milwaukee fan at the moment, where the Brooklyn situation is, is certainly one that seems to have gone past you now, and and also the form of the Philadelphia Philadelphia Seventy Sixers. So there's certainly no guarantee now to you know really be at the porting end even within the Eastern Conference. So they've got some work to do. They've obviously given up so much to get Drew Holiday in to help Middleton and Gianna. So. You know, there's a lot on the line for the Milwaukee Bucks this year, and anything outside really an Eastern Conference final or a, a final for them is a, another disappointing year. Yeah, no doubt, and the worry too, just because Giannis has signed that super max, you've seen you've seen a number of players sign it, and then a year or two later say, oh, "I want out of here." Giannis seems to be cut from a different cloth, and maybe he won't do that. But 
you know, I, I would I would certainly be concerned if I was a Milwaukee fan that if we don't produce either this year or next year that he, he's going to go to their front office and say, I want out of here. You're not surrounding me with the talent I need to compete for a championship because we know how competitive Giannis is and there's no doubt that the championship is what drives him. So we'll now move on to the to the LA Lakers. Uh, obviously, the big news with them is the injury of Anthony Davis. It was announced yesterday that he's still four weeks at least four weeks out from playing. So you'd imagine he's going to miss somewhere between 10 to 12 games, given that the All-Star break's in there as well. So that's going to slice off some games for them. How worried are you about the Lakers at the moment, Caddy? Oh, look, I'm worried about it if this injury to Anthony Davis is more than what they're suggesting. You know, he did have some soreness in that Achilles a couple of games prior to his latest injury. And he came back saying that, you know, that the Achilles was feeling fine. He was 100% and then went down again in that game against Denver. So... If if all it is is a month out and he sits it out till after the All Star break comes back in in tip top form, well, I'm not concerned at all. It's probably a welcome break for him, if, if anything, just mentally and physically after such a arduous, you know, past twelve months, particularly through the bubble and all the way through to the championship. So from that point of view, if he can come back, you know, that time frame that's been specified at this stage and gets back to the, the level of fitness that we you'd expect from him, well, I'm not worried at all about the Los Angeles Lakers. I'm worried about when we spoke about them you know, in one of our first podcasts about being the team to beat and, and you know what are the, the weak links potentially that they have about them this year. Well, we did both mention that it was injury and it was injury to one of these two guys, Anthony Davis or LeBron James. Anyone else on that roster they can probably cover, but you, you know if they do lose Davis for a considerable amount of time deeper into the regular season or into the playoffs and or LeBron James. Well, they're in real they're in real trouble. They're in all sorts of trouble. But, Given um, that that's the case, was it was it surprising to you that Davis only had a two he only sat for two games with that injury and came back probably quicker than necessary given how how strong the start to the season the Lakers have had? I, I found it really bizarre that they would risk him after only two games out. Clearly it wasn't right because he did re injure that the same sort of area. Do you think it's maybe Davis trying to prove to LeBron, because LeBron's such an Iron Man, that I can do what you're doing as well. Or What do you think the reasoning behind that might have been? Well, yeah, there could be an element of that for sure. You know, he's a guy that everyone that plays with him wants to impress and, and do all that. But you'd think at the level Anthony Davis and LeBron James are, that they certainly should have an understanding that neither of them should be out there if there's even any hint of um, a concern around injury. And, you know, you talk about being surprised that he came back. I'm just continually staggered with the minutes, you know, LeBron James and himself has has continued to play. They had that stretch uh, last week where they played three consecutive overtime games and his, his minutes were in the 40s every night. And at some point, you just have to think in his 18th season that these minutes that he's you know, had to wear all, all the way through his career and through uh, playoff runs after playoff runs are going to have to come back and bite him at some point. But hasn't shown that at this stage. But if Davis is out for a sustained period of time here over the next month and more responsibility um, again falls onto LeBron James, well, you know, they really got to try and protect him. And they brought in this added depth that we spoke about with Montreal's Harrell and Dennis Schroeder. Um, you know, they brought back Markeith Morris. So they really just got to start relying on some of these guys to come in, take some of these bulk minutes away from, you know, LeBron James in particular and cover while Anthony Davis is out and really try and protect protect them until the playoffs. Because, you know, we know they're going to be a playoff team. They've got a, a fair gap in the standings already in that top four in the West. So there's no doubt that they're going to be there, but they just need to get there um, with those two guys available and fully fit. Yeah, no question about that. Yeah, the, the biggest, I'm not all that worried at well. I'd put it at about a 3 out of 10 on the worry meter, but 
Yeah, the biggest concern for me is, is certainly LeBron's minutes. Before the Davis injury, he was ranked 49th in minutes in the league. And since the Davis injury, he's first in the league. So as you said there, in his 18th season, you, can, you can't afford LeBron to be to be burning the candle so early in the season and be running on empty. Not that he really, even if he's running on empty, he's going to be a very good player. But you don't want him to be using too many petrol tickets early in the season. You mentioned there they brought in Montrose Harrell and Dennis Schroeder. And I, when we spoke about them earlier in the season, I did say that those two guys there are really good good offensively so with uh, Anthony Davis being out you'd expect those two to be able to step up and, and and have a bigger say in the offense Dennis Schroeder is out unfortunately for the next two to three games for the the health and safety protocols Cole Kuzma's the one for me he, he stepped up over the last six or seven games he had a, another nice game today in a loss against the heat but I think he's playing a bit more he could play maybe play a bit more of the small ball five um, he, he's found his way offensively and his defense has certainly improved over the last probably season or two and Taylor Horton Tucker too, who was the, who we spoke about being the boom player during the preseason, probably hasn't quite come to fruition during the regular season as yet. But you'd imagine that they're going to be asking for more out of Harold Schroeder, Kuzma, and Horton Tucker to be able to pick up the slack while Anthony Davis isn't there. And then maybe what they've tended to do a lot during the season is sort of hang around for three quarters, keep the game close, and then count on LeBron to be able to close it out, which he's been able to do for a majority majority of the year. So I reckon that's probably going to be the blueprint that they do follow for the rest of the for the rest of this time that Anthony Davis is out. Yeah, look, the one certainty around this whole thing is that they're they're not a championship team without um, Anthony Davis in it. I think if it is Le- LeBron James and this support cast, that's just not enough. So they do need Davis back. They need LeBron James fit and healthy alongside him, and then you know they're right there at the top of the East again, and the team to beat uh, for sure. But with one of those guys in any doubt, or, or certainly out of the team, well, they're, they're just not a championship team for mine. No, as good as LeBron is, he he can't carry this this cast of uh, of players to a championship without Anthony Davis. So it's obviously absolutely crucial that they do get Davis back and firing for the for the end of the season. We're going to move on now to the Miami Heat, who are 13-17 and 17 after a win to get, uh, today against the Lakers. They're 10th in the East. Uh, they've obviously had a lot of injuries and, and COVID-related absences th- throughout the season. But in their last 12 games since Jimmy Butler has come back, they are 7-5. and five. How worried are you about the Miami Heat's chances of being a, a legitimate Eastern Conference contender this year, Caddy? I'm worried only because of the record at the moment, and that's 13-17, and 17, and as you said, sitting currently 10th in the East. So... They're only a game out of the eight seed as it currently stands and only, what are they, two and a half games out of the four seed. So it's not a diabolical situation because of the essentially the overall talent that, that lacks in the Eastern Conference outside the first couple of teams at the moment. I mean, you've got sides like Toronto who are currently at, at, at 500 and, and are sitting in the sixth spot in the East. So you, you can fall back and then make a two or three game winning streak and, and, and make that up really quickly in the Eastern Conference. So from that point of view, the record's not great. Uh, but just due to the fact that that bottom end of the Eastern Conference playoff scenario is quite tight and covers across a, a number of really overall me- mediocre sides, you know, the Charlotte Hornets, Chicago Bulls, New York Knicks, Atlanta Hawks, they're the sort of sides that they're vying for. So I'm not probably concerned in terms of them inevitably pushing up um, and, make, and making the playoffs. I think they'll still end up probably, you know, within the top six potentially, maybe that seventh seed. We spoke about Atlanta a few weeks back, and we we're both rather bullish about you know where they were sitting. They were currently at that stage sitting sixth in the East. Now they've just tumbled their way down over the last ten games, just the two wins, eight losses. They're now uh, sitting in eleventh spot with a twelve and seventeen record. So things can change pretty quickly, um, and that bodes well for the Miami Heat if they can get their players back on the court. I don't think there's probably been a team 
in the league that have have had a more disrupted start to the season, both from COVID health and safety protocols, injuries. Like you look at a guy like Tyler Harrow, has just been in and out of the lineup on any given at any given day for a whole host of different reasons. Obviously, Goran Dragic injured again today too. Yeah, he didn't return after halftime, Hero, so that's another concern. Uh, Dragic has, has missed the last eight or nine games as well. You know, we haven't seen Avery Bradley for for over a month, so you know they've got some real issues in that guard rotation. Um, they are pretty pretty much bailed out today by the terrific game of Kendrick Nunn, who put up twenty seven points in a sensational performance. So they do they, they do have the depth in that roster, Miami, to to sort of cover some of these issues that they're having. So all things being equal and they can get their best side back out on, onto the court, um, then, you know, I'm not overly concerned about them making a, a run to the to the bottom end of the playoff picture in the East. No, neither am I. I'm not concerned about them making the playoffs. Uh, they're probably going to struggle to avoid the playing tournament when you just look at the standings. They might maybe be able to get that sixth seed, but they're probably going to fall maybe the seventh or eighth seed, so they're probably going to have to earn their way into, in, into the playoffs. But as a legitimate... East contender, and that's obviously what they'd be aiming for, given they made the NBA Finals last year. I'm, I'm pretty worried. I'd put it about a seven out of ten. We have seen obviously since Butler's come back into the lineup, they are seven and five, and they're playing much better basketball. But they've had some some ordinary losses in in those five losses there. They lost to the Clippers without Kawhi and Paul George, and and the Warriors without Draymond, and the Warriors have really struggled without Draymond Green in in the team this year. So they're they're two pretty bad losses. Although Butler's been outstanding since he's. Certainly, the last month he's he's averaging close to a triple double. Bam Adebayo's had a fantastic year as well. He's close to twenty, ten, and, and five and a half assists and fifty seven percent from the field in the last month. So those guys are certainly pulling their weight. My concern is how exposed they're getting defensively at the guard positions. You mentioned Tyler Hero there, who's been in and out of the team due, due to some injuries, and he's had a reasonable year. He's averaging close to seven and a half points shooting. 45, 34, and 77% from the field, which on face value is really good, but he does get exposed defensively. And the same with Duncan Robinson, who's obviously a sniper from from three-point territory. Both of those guys have been exposed heavily uh, defensively. That They've been beaten off the dribble consistently, which has forced the Miami D to collapse. Now, Miami are actually giving up the, the least amount of points in the paint for the season, which which reads really well, but they're giving up a lot of three-point uh, makes per game. So... So they're probably trading that off, getting beaten off the dribble from by the guards, uh, trying to trying to stop that penetration, and they're getting beaten on the outside. So that's the worry for me that they need to really tighten up defensively in the guard positions. And you mentioned the fact that Goran Dragic has been out for for the last seven games. Well, that's huge because the season really turned around for Miami, especially in the bubble. They inserted Dragic into the into the starting lineup, and 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 he was fantastic for him until he got injured. Uh, just before the final, so missing him, I think, has been really crucial in in Miami struggling. So if they can get him back, look, he wasn't playing that well at the start of the year, but he's such a crafty player. He can run the offense and give Butler a bit of a break when required. So if they if they can get Drugich back playing at the level he did last season, and they can tighten up defensively at the guard position, I think they might be able to become a bit of a contender. But but I still think I'd probably have him below. Obviously, you know, Brooklyn, Philly. And even even a Boston for me, they're probably below the, those teams at the moment. So, what scope have they got then going forward towards the end of the season to make any changes to their roster? I mean, you, I know you follow the Miami, Miami Heat really closely, and was a surprise run into the to the finals last year through the bubble. And you now there's obviously a few mitigating circumstances for that as well. But what can they do with the roster as currently currently constricted to try and um, potentially adjust that 
you know, to really make a deep run in the playoffs this time. Yeah, well, they signed Myers Leonard to a, to a two-year, $20 million deal, I think it was in the end, which certainly raised some eyebrows. But next year is, is, a, is a team option. So it's essentially a trade chip there. I think Leonard's actually even out for the season or certainly for an extended period. So so they've got that one there that they could use in a potential trade. Iguodala as well, um, he, he's on an expiring deal. So, so they could certainly flip him. Kelly Olenek, without looking at his contract um, scenario, I believe he's might be on expiring as well. So they've certainly got some avenues there to to trade some of these guys, and, and they've got they do owe some some future uh, first round picks uh, in in the future. But but they could they could cobble together enough assets and some F, and and enough draft picks to to get into a, a trade to bring in somebody. And I'll speak about who I think they might be able to bring in later in the program when we talk about some guys that are that, that are maybe on the move. So th- there's no doubt, you know, Pat Riley's not a guy that likes to sit on his hands. When he thinks he's got a, a team that can maybe go all the way, he'll be trying to trying to pull any move that he can. So there's no doubt that uh, over the next the next couple of weeks before the trade deadline um, expires that, that, that they'll be looking to add to what they've got at the moment. So we'll move on from the worry meter to what we'll call the confidence meter, and we'll talk about the Toronto Raptors, who are now 15 of 15, which is six in the East, but importantly, over their last 11 games, they're eight and three. So how confident are you, Caddy, that Toronto have sort of got them, got themselves back into that playoff picture in the East and can be a legitimate East contender? Yeah, I'm pretty bullish about the Raptors at the moment. I think they've, you know, obviously struggled really badly out of the blocks and they certainly had some excuses, you know, having to move the whole team down Florida, be so far away from home again. You know, there, you could certainly mount some excuses for the way that they started the season and trying to have to adjust to that new environment. Being away from family and also being away from, you know, just the surrounds that they're used to used to seeing. So I think they've been able to sort of take stock on all that and, and now adjust and move forward. And they've put together, as you said, a really impressive run over the last 11 games. You know, they really had to to learn to play uh, without Serge Barker and Mark Gazzola, who had been really big staples, particularly in the front court there for the Raptors over the past couple of years and through their championship run. So to lose those guys... And, you know, really only get serviceable help back in from particularly Aaron Baines and the development of Chris, Chris Boucher. So, you know, I don't think, you know, man for man, they really were able to replace uh, those guys in the roster. So, again, that was another adjustment for them. And, and what they've done over the past few games is changed that starting lineup. After they've gone small, uh, brought Norman Powell into the starting lineup at the expense of Aaron Baines. Um, and they've seemingly been able to sort of transition that really well into some to some really positive play. We look at Fred Van Fleet. His um, form over the, the past month has just been outstanding and he's almost put himself right in the mix again for an all-star position when the coaches do their votes over the next 24 hours. So that's the sort of level of play he's at at the moment and that's a real driving force um, for the reason. I think the, the Raptors have been able to really turn things around. Kyle Lowry, obviously, who's still um, playing at a serviceable uh, level. He's missed the last couple of games with a a bit of a nagging thumb injury, but uh, once they get him back in um, and they stay small with Powell in the lineup, then they are really sh- throwing some matchup issues against some of these other signs, uh, other sides. And Siakam in particular has also found his groove. So I'm pretty confident around the fact that they, you know, they're in for the top eight, and it'll be the last time that they we won't see them outside the top eight again uh, for the rest of the season. It's just a matter of how far up the up the uh, list they can get in the Eastern Conference. They're currently. Uh, two games behind Milwaukee for the third seed, so it's, I'd imagine that's the sort of position they'd be, you know, really aiming for to try and push up and 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 you know make another run during the playoffs this year. 
There's no doubt they had a, they had a difficult start to the season as anyone, given that they did have to relocate, and that certainly wouldn't have been easy. And you mentioned the fact there that losing a Barker and Gasol also was was a huge adjustment for them, and Aaron Baines wasn't giving them quite what they would have wanted in that starting role early in the season. The, the, the guy for me that, that's been huge in, in in this turnaround is is Norm Powers. You mentioned there they inserted him into the starting lineup, and since he's since he's gone into the starting lineup, he's averaging twenty two point eight points a game on 50%, 52% shooting from the field and 44% from three. So so, so they're massive numbers for a guy uh, to come in and, and give him that offensive spark. Pascal Siakam did start the year a little bit slow, but he certainly rounded himself into form over the last month. He's averaging 22, 8, and 4.5 and assists, shooting 47% from the field. So that's a, that's a huge uptick from what he was giving uh, Toronto early in the season. For me, though, I still think that they're probably going to be just below those those real East contenders in Philly, Brooklyn, and Milwaukee. I'm just not quite sure that they have the cattle to go from. You mentioned there, Fred Van Van Vliet has been has been good and has pushed himself into into All Star contention. He he has, but he's really inconsistent. Van Vliet he has he has huge games as we as we seen when he put up that fifty. 50-point game recently, but then he'll also have some stinkers where he's 3 or 12 from the field or 3 or 15, and trust me, I know this because he's in my fantasy team and he, you want to pull your hair out sometimes. But So you're not really confident with him on a game-to-game scenario. You mentioned the fact that Kyle Lowry's out with an injury at the moment, and we know what a quality player he is, but he's he's in his 14th season now, so how how long can he continue to play at an elite level? That's That's got to be a question there. Um, so for me, certainly their defense has improved, and particularly the last couple of games when they've held Milwaukee and Minnesota to 81 and 96 points respectively. So if you obviously want to be a good team, you've got to have a good defense. So it's really pleasing to see that their defense has had a, had a really good uptick over the last sort of month or so. But for me, I think I'd probably have it at a confidence meter of about a 5 out of 10 if they're going to be a legit Eastern Conference contender. There's no doubt that they're going to end up playing finals, and you mentioned there that they're only two or three games off the third seed at the moment, so that uh, where they fall, I'm not quite sure. They might end up in the fourth or fifth seed, but for me, I think I've got them just a little bit outside that top bracket in the East. Yeah, I, I probably agree with you there, and I think they're, they're probably the team I'm really looking closely at uh, as we get close to the trade deadline as to whether they can add a significant piece uh, to this group. They've, you know, they've been such a a great development team over the years and they've been able to get the improvement that they needed out of Norm Powell and they got it out of Siakam a couple of years ago. We've seen the improvement out of OG Ananobi and, and Chris Boucher again uh, this year. But you know, as you mentioned, they're probably another piece away to really compete. And they've got some, some ways to do it. It depends on potentially how Kyle Lowry is viewed in, going forward in the future. He's on a, a, on a sizable expiring contract that could be dangled out as, as an asset to bring something else back in at, at a high level salary. You know, they've got Aaron Baines, who's, I think, contract at $7 million this year and $7.5 million next year is certainly tradable. Um, you've got Patrick McCall just on an expiring Stanley Johnson. So there are ways of, of sort of cobbling some salary together to bring something in to particularly help them, maybe in the in the big man department. And I think we'll, we'll probably get to some of these options shortly of some of the guys that may be available. And I think Toronto's a team that I'll be looking closely at to see if they've got a move left in them. Yeah, I can certainly see them trying to add a big, and as you said, we'll, we'll talk about a couple of guys later. But it, it, Larry is an interesting one. Masai Ujiri has has pulled the trigger on another fan favourite in the past with DeMar DeRozan when he brought in Kawhi Leonard because he, he thought and correctly judged that 
that would make them a, a title contender. So on a $30 million expiring contract, could they bring in somebody else that could help them a little bit more than Lowry's at the moment and then, you know, turn the keys over to Van Vliet and, and see what they could get there. So that will be interesting to see if they do do anything with Lowry. Now, we saw during the week that the All-Star uh, starters were announced, so we'll just run through what they were. So in the East, the, the starting guards are Bradley Beal and Kyrie Irving. And the front court is Kevin Durant, Giannis, and Joel Embiid. And in the West, uh, the starting guards are Steph Curry and Luka Doncic. And in the front court is LeBron James, Nikola Jokic, and Kawhi Leonard. Now, was was there any surprises for you in those results, Caddy? Oh, not probably particularly. I mean, the the big one for me in the Eastern Conference was the selection of Kyrie Irving um, as a starter. I mean, we when we went through our All Star selections for starters and reserves, neither us neither of us at that stage had had Kyrie Irving even in the in the 12 man roster and now that was on the back of you know the issues he was having at the start of the season where he, he essentially stopped turning up so i think we probably took the view that it was going to be pretty hard for him to sort of make up that ground in terms of the respect from the fans the the players and the media to get enough votes to to get voted in uh, it's amazing how popular Kyrie is with the fans isn't it because he he ranks second in the fan voting what what is it for you i mean he's obviously a really you know, outstanding player to watch given the way he finishes at the rim. But what is it for you, do you think, that makes him so popular? I mean, he's a little bit unusual and he comes out and says some strange things, which you probably would think would be uh, affect him negatively, but it doesn't seem to be the case. No, look, at, and he's got that history, you know, of being a really popular player and whether it goes back to the Uncle Drew commercials and, and, the, and the television stuff he did um, with all that back in the day. So whether that's sort of translated to, to that younger audience who, you know, who really enjoy, as you said, the way he plays. He's got probably the best handle in the game. He can pull up and shoot from anywhere. So he does play an attractive uh, style of game. But, you know, for me, the quirkiness is something that I, I don't particularly uh, gel with from my point of view. So whether or not there's so many out there that just don't worry about the things that he's saying or the or the impact that he's having um, around the locker room and they just love the way he, he plays and, um, and, as I said, some of the off-court personality stuff that he has uh, been able to show, but yeah, I was absolutely staggered when the even the first round of fan voting came in, and he was sitting, you know, in the second spot there, and and he, he was able to hold that all the way through. Um, he also got ranked, he got ranked second from the players as well, and also fourth from the media. So, you know, I'll put my hand up and say I've got that totally wrong. Uh, when we did our selections, I just didn't see that coming at all, and it really sort of thrown my all-star predictions out. Him being a guaranteed starter, um, and so that was certainly probably the surprise out of the all-star. Uh, starting voting that we we saw come through this week. Yeah, I, as you mentioned, I I had him out as well. I, I I did put the caveat on it that I thought himself and uh, and James Harden would probably work their way into it by the by the, everything was said and done, um, and that that has been the case. For me, what, what did you think about the controversy around the Luka Doncic Damian Lillard aspect of it? Because Doncic rated second in the fans and third in the players and third in the media where Lillard was third in the fans and second in the players and, and the media as well. So they were effectively on the same score because it's a 50-25-25 split. So the fan gets the tiebreaker there. I mean, not that it really matters. We know, obviously, Lillard's going to make the team. And on the resume, it doesn't matter if you're a starter. It just matters if you're if you're an all-star. Do you think that the tiebreaker should go to the fans? Or do you think it should just be who ranked the highest in more of the categories? Oh, look, I think it, it this historically has been a fan vote for the All-Star starter. So, look, I don't have an issue if that's how they want to split it with the way that they've you know, come up with the weighted score from fans, players and media. So, look, if the tiebreaker did go to the fan vote, well, you know, as I said, historically it's been an entire fan vote. Luca would have 
got that position. So I don't have a have a problem with him. As you said, Lillard's going to be there, and, and he's a, he would have been a deserving starter, and he's, and he's certainly more of a, you know more than a deserving reserve as well. So um, look, I think we both selected Curry and Doncic in that starting uh, backcourt for the West, and you know, and as we said, it, it was going to be. Damian Lillard being the, the the other one that would have been considered. So, um, look, it was obviously really close there, but uh, Luca and his fan popularity uh, got him over on. Yeah, no doubt. The, the the other interesting one, and it's I say it's interesting just because it's a lot off from what the other voting is. Gordon Haywood ranked ninth in the fan vote and seventh in the media uh, vote, but only fifteenth in the player ranking. So, I'm not sure what the the players have against uh, Gordon Hayward there. Maybe it's a bit of hair envy, Ben, because he's got probably the greatest <laughs> hair in the NBA. So maybe they're just a bit uh, a bit jealous of what Gordon's bringing to the table in the hair department. Yeah, so Maybe also jealous of the uh, big, sizable contract he signed in the off-season <laughs> and maybe a bit of tall poppy syndrome that's gone along with it. Certainly could be. So we'll move on now. There's been a number of names mentioned recently uh, that, that are potential trade targets. We, we've seen... Over the last week, both Detroit and, and Cleveland come out and mentioned that they're interested in in trading Griffin and Drummond. So we'll start with Griffin. So Blake Griffin is owed $36 million this year and has a player option for $39 million next year, which you think he's probably going to opt into that one. You'd think that, Ben, wouldn't you? <laughs> Absolutely. So just, uh, just going through his stats this year, he's averaging 12.3 points, 5.2 rebounds and 3.9 assists, shooting 36, 31 and 71 splits. From the from the field, which is obviously horrendous. The biggest stat for me, though, was which I'm sure everyone's heard. He's had no dunks for the season, which is absolutely incredible. We we all remember Blake when he burst onto the scene. He was uh, the human highlight film. He was throwing down down dunks uh, left, right, and center. I actually still remember watching his first game, and obviously had heard about him, but hadn't really seen much of him play. And his first game was incredible. I actually remember remember texting your brother, uh, Caddy, saying, "Are you watching this?" Because I just it was just so exciting to watch. And just on the fact that he's had no dunks for the season, if you go back to his first four seasons, he was 214, 192, 202, and 176. Now, obviously, he's only played the 20 games this season, but you can see there the discrepancy between what he was at his, you know, when he, at his peak and what he is now. It'd be, it'd be almost like if Steph Curry just stopped shooting threes. So, obviously, his athleticism, athleticism has declined, how do you see this shaking out with Griffin? Oh, it's going to be really, really difficult, I think. And it, I think even before we get into how you know the mechanics of a, a trade may even look, I thought the really interesting piece that came out during the week was the unusual rant from Draymond Green after one of the games earlier in the week where he blasted the NBA and its treatment of the players, you know, basically citing uh, various examples of double standards, um, which I thought was really interesting. He was quite direct in his comments, and you know we always know Raymond Green isn't backward in coming forward. So it was quite quite interesting to see him have that opinion about the players basically, you know, getting the raw deal with when the uh, a franchise or a team's turn to sort of, you know, make the call that you're not going to play. Um, you don't have a chance to continue to prove yourself before for a potential trade. So he, he was. Did you calling... did you agree with what he was saying? Because he had some really good points. What, what were your thoughts on that? Oh look, I, I look, uh, you know, from a playing point of view, and, and you, you try and put your players hat on. Yeah, absolutely you'd have to think that um, he's got some really valid points. But, you know, again, it, it, the, the league is a business. These owners and franchises, you know, essentially own the rights to these players and they can essentially do what they like in, in that sense. But um, I suppose then when the, the shoe is on the on the other foot and the player then demands a trade like we saw with James Harden, then you know, it, it's very difficult for teams and fans then to throw, throw shit back at them. So, 
that's where I think, you know, that double standard situation is really interesting. And I'm not sure kind of how it's all going to land uh, going forward if we continue to see star players demanding uh, trades within their contracts. And then we also then on the flip side of the team, we're seeing teams basically sitting sitting players mid-season in the hope basically preserving, you know, any future injury that they can turn that current asset into something else down the line. So I think that conversation is going to continue, particularly, you know, prior to the next collective bargaining agreement, and, you know, that we might see another real stoush between the owners and the players association on that one. Yeah, hopefully that's not the case. The last thing we want is is an extended lockout. For me, Griffin, I just can't see anybody trading for him. It's it's almost impossible. Nobody's going to have the assets to give up and would, would willingly give up those sort of assets to get to him. So this is going to come out come down to a buyout, obviously between you know Griffin's manager and the Detroit Pistons, whatever number they settle on, and then he becomes but basically free to sign with whoever he likes. For me, there's a couple of teams to jump out. Brooklyn certainly could do with some help, whether you can play a small ball five or they just basically need some numbers. You've seen that they've added Andre Robertson this week, so they're getting desperate. They just want some bodies and some guys who can soak up some minutes. So Blake can can certainly do that. You, you can't see him being a, a really solid contributor as a starter for a playoff team, but he could certainly come off the bench and play 15 or 18 minutes and, and, and give them something off the bench. So you could see him doing that for Brooklyn. Boston's the other team as well. Tristan Thompson probably hasn't quite fulfilled what they were after when they signed him. And Daniel Tice too is, you know, he's a serviceable uh, big, but you could see Griffin coming in again for 15 to 20 minutes and playing some small ball fire for them. And and couldn't you see him going back to LA and playing for the Lakers? Because they're obviously uh, short on some bodies, certainly at the moment as well with, with this uh, injury to Anthony Davis. So Griffin loves playing in LA. He's got that, he's a bit of a stand-up comic, I believe. So he'd probably want to get back to LA and continue to do that. So I could see him maybe uh, adding to the Lakers as well. Yeah, look, in, in the situation of a buyer, you, you're going to have to assume that he's going to be leaving a hell of a lot of money on the table because, um, as you mentioned, that contract that runs not only this year but next year is, is sizable. And the, for a buyout situation, for the team to be able to swallow it, he's going to have to leave you know, a significant chunk of next year's money, you'd have to think, on the table, which we don't see the players do too often. And really be interesting to see the desperation in the end if a trade can't be done uh, for Blake to get out and, you know, as you said, a, a trade's going to be certainly really, really difficult and almost borderline impossible based on, you know, getting salary to come back in and match the $36.6 million that he's owed uh, this year. It's, it's almost impossible. I mean, the one candidate I was probably looking at more from a romantic uh, point of view would maybe be the Oklahoma City Thunder, who, you know, we know that uh, Blake was uh, played his college ball out at Oklahoma, so potentially there was a Is there much there point in them adding someone like Griffin, though? Oh, not particularly. Are. I mean, they do have the contract to send back, and that's the old Horford contract that runs um, for one extra year. So you're probably looking at it from Detroit's point of view as to why the hell would would they do it to take on you know the extra year of Al Horford's salary when they can get off Griffin the year after. But that that would be potentially the the one I could see more from a romantic side of thing. And and then also you always you always think about Miami and and Pat Riley and his um, ability to make things happen. So, you know, we, we did mention before some of the contracts that Miami have that are expiring, um, and we got the Myers Leonard and Kelly Olynyk. So they could probably get to the number as well. But for me, I don't think that Miami would want to compromise too much of their depth. Um, they'd almost probably have to throw in Iguodala's number as well to bring in Griffin, who, as you said, is just an absolute shadow of the player he used to be and, and the value you're going to get uh, from him coming in. And if his shooting has deteriorated to the point of no return, really, then, it, you know, it's hard to see 
a trade and, and a team giving up any any asset or cap flexibility to, to bring him in. So, no, that will be interesting. And, and, and as I said earlier, I think the bigger uh, talking point of all this will be down the track is the ability for players to kind of, you know, want to run their own show versus a team making these sort of decisions on, on one of their players. You can't imagine Blake Griffin's athleticism just going to, you know, reappear overnight, given his age and his injury history. You think that that's done, but he, could, as I said, I could, I could see him adding something to to a playoff contender off the bench and, and may, maybe contributing. You know, with his playmaking ability, he's got the ability to, to to do that. So hopefully, he can he can attach himself to a playoff team and 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 have an impact for him. The other one is Andre Drummond. So he's he's on an expiring deal worth close to twenty nine million. He's having a reasonable year, putting up decent numbers, but he is shooting a career low 47% from the field. Uh, he'd never been below 51% before this year. So he's only 27 years old, Andre Drummond. It seems like he's been around forever and, and would be in his 30s, but he's only 27 years old. But his athleticism has definitely deteriorated over the last couple of years. He's not getting as high. He still rebounds, but he, does, he's, he used to be a, a really um, good lob threat, but he's not quite that player anymore. Can you see anybody a trading for him, or do you think it'll it'll come down to a buyout scenario similar to the to the Blake Griffin situation? Yeah, look, I think in reality it, it, it would probably come down to the buyout uh, situation, as you mentioned, unless there's a couple of teams that kind of get into a, a joust around around a trade for him. And, and the team I'd probably look at, and as the one we did mention before, would possibly be the Toronto Raptors, um, who who clearly need a bit more help on the inside, um, as we mentioned the Aaron Baines experiment hasn't quite uh, worked out at the moment. So it's just a, how they'd have to get there would would have to include Kyle Lowry and, and it's just their uh, willingness to part with him. been such a fan favourite in, up in Toronto since he's uh, been there and he's you know, a multi-time All-Star championship player. So it'd be a massive call for them to do that uh, mid-season. And, and I, think they, I think they'd burn down Air Canada Centre, even though <laughs> they're not allowed there at the moment. If he gave up you know, the, the best player in the fa- franchise history to bring in Andre Drummond, who's probably not going to move the needle all that much, let's not forget that uh, Cleveland acquired Andre Drummond for just a second-round pick last year. So obviously he hasn't got a lot of currency um, in the NBA at the moment. So if, if Masai Ujiri did give up Lowry for, for Drummond, I don't think he'd be all that popular, despite the fact he did bring him a championship in you know, only a couple of seasons ago. Yeah, absolutely. You know, as we said, it's, it's going to be really difficult to do. And the only way, you know, Lowry would certainly not be going to Detroit. It'd have to be at some point part of a three-way deal with another asset or draft compensation coming back to Detroit. I mean, Boston's another one. You mentioned them before when you said about Blake Griffin and potentially some additional help on the inside. So you could see um, Drummond potentially being a fit for there, whether it be Tristan Thompson going back to Cleveland, which would be quite ironic. But other than that, yeah, I think it would have to be probably through the buyout that we see Drummond going. And a team I wouldn't mind, you know, seeing him land on if it was a buyout situation would be the Dallas Mavericks, um, just allowing Pazingas to sort of play a bit more outside and, and less reliance on Willie Cauley-Stein and, and any of their other big guys. So he, he could be a guy that could sort of help Dallas potentially, you know, have a, a late-season playoff run. You know, I think it is quite interesting when, you know, you look at Detroit and some of the moves they've made over the past few years and, the two guys here that have been basically asked to not play by their respective teams, Griffin and Drummond, are, were the, the two guys that basically Detroit went all in on about two seasons ago. So yeah. it's quite fascinating how quickly it can turn and, and some of these front officers' um, decision-making and, and how it comes back to, to bite them in a sense. Yeah, that, that, that certainly is interesting. I agree. Dr- Drummond's probably going to end up getting bought out. I can't see anybody giving up the required assets to, to make a trade work. And, and Toronto was the team for me that, that sort of jumped out, given the fact that Aaron Baines hasn't been able to fulfil what they wanted to. And Boucher is more a guy that can play some 
15 to 20 minutes off the bench, but he's probably not an extended minutes kind of guy. But Andre Drummond, for me, has to be able to adjust his game and realise that when he does go to a team that's a championship contender or certainly has high aspirations as a, as a playoff contender, that he's not going to be able to play the game that he has played at Cleveland and Detroit in the past. He's going to have to be more of a bit player. He, he can't operate and try and be a ball handle and a, and, and a creator. So if he sort of is willing to swallow his pride a little bit and play hard defensively and just be a lob threat, even though I said he's not as good a lob threat as he used to be, I'm sure he can still manage to be one. Um, he probably could add some value, but as long as he was willing to swallow his pride. The other one we heard today was DeMarcus Cousins, and he's He's only on a minimum contract at the moment uh, this year for the Houston Rockets, but it was mentioned today that they were they were looking to buy him out and that he was going to be obviously on the open market then. It was, it was a bit of a, a surprising one, if I'm being honest, given the fact that Christian Wood's out with an injury and, and Cousins has been starting for the Houston Rockets, but apparently they prefer to go a bit smaller. Their defense has cratered uh, since Wood, Wood has been injured. Not that that's um, all DeMarcus Cousins' fault, but he, he certainly has isn't the defender. He was never a great defender, but he has certainly slipped even more in that area. Where could you see DeMarcus Cousins adding some value, Caddy? Oh, look, I'm not too sure. I mean, you could probably see him back at one of the LA teams potentially as a as a depth guy. You've seen him come into the starting lineup for Houston recently, and it just hasn't worked out for DeMarcus. And it's probably certainly not a, a lack of will or desire. It's just, you know, the, the body's just not what it was. You, you can't get sideways. You, you can't get vertical. His three-point shooting, as much as he's trying to improve in that area, it just isn't what, what it needs to be to be a stretch five. You know, I mean, Houston Rockets have lost seven games in the tear at the moment with him in the starting lineup. So, as you said, it wasn't a, a surprising decision based on the fact that we, you know, we still are probably a few weeks from Christian Wood uh, returning. But um, you know, they've obviously just decided to to make the call now part ways. It's not like they're going to bring in get an asset for him or anything like that. It's strictly going to be allowing him to to move on to another contender. So. When you're looking down the line, if you're looking in the West, I mean, I'm not sure there's a fit there with Utah. They're not going to need his services. So, I mean, I'd probably suggest it could be the LA Lakers, really, that might bring him back in as a as a as another body to put in there if there are any extended concerns around Anthony Davis and obviously Mark Gasol has um, got that backup spot at the moment. Yeah, it's similar to the Griffin and Drummond scenarios, really, isn't it? The same sort of teams. You know, Brooklyn needs some bodies. Boston again could probably maybe look to to get a different mix in their centre rotation. And certainly the Lakers, you could see him going back there. I know LeBron sort of spoke pretty highly of him in his time there. So I've got no doubt he could end up there as well. So he's another interesting one. Is he willing to swallow his pride and just play a bit part in a championship contender? And and maybe that could lead to him getting a better contract at the end of this season. In regards to the contract as well, I think it is quite an interesting situation, particularly with these buyout guys. You look at Griffin and Drummond. I think there's a bit of a stigma in the end when you are a buyout guy because whatever team you then you know, end up signing with, you end up coming in basically on a veteran's minimum. And going into free agency then the following year, um, it's going to be very hard for all of those players certainly to get anywhere near back up to the number um, that they were obviously playing on. In the event that they are traded, at least that team that um, they get traded to holds their bird rights and they can sign them back to a percentage of their salary. But Obviously, I don't think that's an issue for Blake Griffin. He's never going to get anywhere near the money he was on. But a guy like Andre Drummond, as you said, is only 27. He'd probably like to think he has another big contract in him. And the sort of ends up being a buyout guy that then takes a minimum contract. I don't think we see too many of those guys in that next uh, off-season of free agency really then sign another sizable contract. So for me, that's another interesting watch as to um, how those machinations play out. Yeah, it certainly is. There might be some teams that have their mid-level 
that's still available. I haven't, I haven't looked to see if there is any, but there, there might be one or two that might be willing to give Drummond one of those because, like you said, if you, it's hard for, for an agent to, to go to a team and say, yeah, he was getting a minimum this season, but we now want 15 to 20 million. That That's probably not uh, probably not going to fly with, with some teams out there. So we've also seen the New Orleans Pelicans, some news come out of them over the last couple of weeks saying that JJ Redick and Lonzo Ball could both potentially be available so out out of those two there, which one jumps out at you? Which would be the more interesting one? Oh, look, I think Lonzo Ball is probably the more interesting one, just because he's younger, and we we still probably aren't a hundred percent sure um, what his total upside or or ceiling is going to be in the NBA. I mean, JJ Redick's been around for what seems like forever, and we you know he's a bit of a one trick pony. We know what he's going to bring to a team, and I think in the event that he is looking to be traded out of New Orleans, there will be suitors for him. Uh, potentially with those contending teams and just looking for for more shooting to come off the bench. So I I think, you know, there'll be a trade there to be had for, for JJ Reddick um, just based on, on what he's going to be able to bring to one of those contenders. But as I said, I think more interestingly would be, you know, what sort of trade value would a guy like Lonzo Ball have? We probably still still haven't seen the best of what he can offer. Um, so is a team going to look to punt and give up you know any significant players or assets back to the Pelicans to get a trade um to be done or is it more the Pelicans looking to basically say, look, we, we think we've got gone as far as we can here and, and you'd almost take, you know, 50 cents on the dollar. So he'd be the interesting one for me. I mean, I don't know what, where the fit would be. You'd, he's a sort of player you think would, you know, suit one of those bigger markets, whether it be playing in New York or LA or something like that. It just, he's just sort of got that uh, personality, but I, I think interest, an interesting landing place could be backup role, potentially in Phoenix playing behind Devin Booker and Chris Paul, just being another playmaker for them. To basically, you know, help elevate them up um, into the West in terms of having more depth on the perimeter. So, in terms of how they get a trade done, you know, you've got Jay Crowder, his money, or a Cam Johnson, or someone like that that you could maybe flip back. But um, yeah, Alonzo Ball would be really interesting. I'll, I'd be surprised if uh, the Pelicans did pull the trigger on a trade. I think they'd, you know, really probably got to give themselves another 12 months to really see what they've got down there. And, and whether, as we mentioned a few weeks ago, these three. You know, young stars they have, uh, or potential stars in Zion Williamson, Brandon Ingram, and Lonzo Ball, whether there is a potential fit together. Yeah, it will be interesting to see what they do with Lonzo there. So he, he's his contract's up at the end of this year, so that they will have to make a decision at the end of this year whether they want how much they want to extend him after after his rookie contract expires. So maybe they're looking at that thinking that they don't want to deal with that headache. Maybe they can get something in return for that. So he, he started the year pretty slowly, but his last month he's rounded into form. He's at close to 16 points a game, 4.3 rebounds and 5.4 assists. So it's going to be interesting to see that if they do put him out on the on the market, what they can get back for him. You mentioned there uh, the Knicks. For me, they're the ones that will probably look at, that would look at him. They certainly don't have a, a point guard of the future. So actually got on the ESPN trade machine last night for the first time in my life, Caddy, and I can see myself getting stuck on that for a couple of hours. So the Knicks could potentially give up Nilakina and Bullock to make the salaries match, and maybe the Dallas pick. Now, that might be giving up a bit too much for Lonzo, that Dallas pick, because we're not 100% sure whether that's going to fall this year. And for me, maybe Lonzo's maybe only worth a late first rounder. No, it's really hard to, to gauge his what his value is in the league, but I'm sure the Knicks would be really interested. So maybe they could sort of get a package around that. For me, JJ Redick too, I, I I could see him definitely being traded. And I did mention earlier that Miami, I thought Miami could 
would add somebody. And I reckon Reddy could be the one to maybe add to their outside shooting. They they could put Myers Leonard and, and, and a second round pick and Leonard would probably get it done. I don't think I don't think the Pelicans Pelicans are gonna ask for the world from Reddy. He is actually shooting a career low thirty eight percent from three. Now that'll obviously tick back up that he's just going through a bit of a run at the moment. So he's a quality shooter. That that, that hasn't gone anywhere. So Miami always like to add as much outside shooting as possible. And the other one is Philly. He obviously has a history at Philadelphia, played some really good basketball when he was there. That They need to add as much shooting as possible around Embiid and Simmons. So they could they could uh, get it together with Mike Scott, Terrence Ferguson and Vincent, Vincent Poirier. Now, Fer- Ferguson and Poirier aren't playing at all for him. Mike Scott is playing some minutes for him. So... They're really shallow um, as far as getting as far as getting help from any players. So they could potentially do that trade, add Redick, and then maybe add a Griffin or a Drummond or one of these other buyout guys, just so they so they're not sort of killing too much of their depths. Redick for me, I could see either landing at uh, Philly or Miami. Yeah, look, he's really only going to be interested in, in landing on a contender and, and being able to add to his pretty impressive playoff uh, resume. Uh, for JJ, so yeah, I, I think Philly for me would be the most uh, likely landing spot. It'd certainly be good to uh, to get him back there. Now we'll move on to our Aussie of the Week segment, and this week it's it's clear, clearly Ben Simmons who had a career night uh, a couple of nights ago where he shot a career high forty two points, uh, nine rebounds, and twelve assists. Shot fifteen of twenty six from the field. And I think the most impressive thing for me was he was 12 for 13 from the free throw line, which I'd imagine would be his highest percentage of any game where he'd shot probably over eight free throws. So how did you see that game for Simmons, Caddy? Well, it's good to see the field goal attempts up at the 26. I mean, we, he obviously was playing that game without Joel Embiid. So, you know, there's certainly a caveat against it. But for him to take 26 field goal attempts in a game, would it, you know, it's certainly got to be up there as a record for Ben Simmons. I mean, the previous game that he played before that was against Utah. He just had the, the nine or 10. So that's the sort of number that he, he normally would sit around the 9, 10, 11 or 12. But to get 26 attempts up was great. You know, most of those, again, being in, in the paint and in transition and, and bullying his way to the basket, 42 points on 57%. And then, as you mentioned, the free throw attempts and, and the accuracy there of 92% from the line um, was really, really encouraging, albeit in, in a loss as well. So, I mean... That's not not ideal either, but it was pleasing to see him really take ownership of the offense. And we we've been screaming out for for Ben to look for his shot more, look to be more dangerous at the offensive end, and you know bring some more to the table to really help uh, Philadelphia potentially late in games where you know the shot uh, making can dry up across the board. And just for him to be able to have that confidence and, and willingness to to shoot is impressive. So now uh, certainly a, a well deserving winner of the award. This year, and I think he's going to be a really interesting player when we, we when they the coaches announce the All Star reserves as to whether this you know this run that he's had over the past uh, couple of weeks will be rewarded with another All Star berth. Yeah, it will be very interesting. Kevin O'Connor from the Ringer put together a really good video, sort of highlighting how valuable Ben Simmons is as not only a defender but also on the offensive end, offensive end the way he screens and. And, and does a lot of stuff apart from scoring. For me, the most interesting thing from this was it probably would probably spark the conversation again as to whether Simmons and Embiid are better apart. So for me, I think that they're obviously not an ideal combination and and they probably would be better off apart. I think you'd, you'd see the best of Ben Simmons if they built the team around him, similar to the way Milwaukee have done for Giannis, and he could play that sort of role that Giannis does. 
uh, and you saw it in this game against Utah when he had the 42 points, that he was attacking. Um, there, was a, there was some space for him. He didn't have Embiid clogging up the lane. He was able to get to the rim, draw some fouls. We've seen him be reluctant to do that in the past, but he certainly didn't do that this night. So what do you think about that? Do you think... Obviously, do you think you'd get the best out of Ben Simmons at Philly with another great player like Embiid, or do you think you would see the best out of Simmons if he had his own team? And how far do you think that team would be able to get with Simmons as their number one option? Yeah, look, I think there's enough history to suggest that Simmons and Embiid probably aren't you know, really made for each other. If you had the whole top 20 NBA players lined up in a schoolyard and you got to choose two of them to, to build your team around, I'm pretty sure Simmons and Embiid aren't the partnership that you'd ideally Take, but you know, this year they have seemed to have been able to find a better, a better mix, particularly around um, Ben Simmons and Embiid with some more outside shooting. Whereas you know the previous years when they you know went to guys like Al Horford, just adding uh, more size in there, just certainly didn't work. But oh look, I agree that Simmons has certainly got the potential to to be the number one guy on a team, and you know he does bring different things to the table than than we're normally seeing from a team leader, um, because he isn't that offensive minded in terms of the the shot making, but. There certainly would be a, um, a possibility of you know building a specific team around him, but you know if I'm Philadelphia, I'm probably reluctant to to split them up just at this stage. I mean, if they're reluctant to to not give him up to bring a guy like James Harden in. Then I I, I can't see another player that they're going to be falling over themselves to to Bradley trade Beal? To, to make. Well, he he would make sense, you know, particularly around a side like MB. But you know, Bradley Beal still not James Harden. James Harden's on another level again. So if they weren't willing to do it. Uh, for Harden, then I'd be surprised if they'd be willing to do it for Bill. Yeah, no doubt Harden's a better player. I I don't know. Nobody really knows. I don't know if we if they weren't willing to do it or whether they just got outbid uh, by Brooklyn in the end. But for me, I'd, I'd be really intrigued to see Ben Simmons have his own team and see the way he, he did operate when he was the, the number one guy on offense because he certainly hasn't been that throughout his career, understandably so, given how good Joel Embiid is. So, as I said, yeah, it would be really intriguing to see Ben Simmons in that number one offensive role. So we'll call the show there. Once again, thanks to everybody who continues to download this show. Um, I say this every week. If you haven't gone onto Apple Podcasts and given us a rating and review, could you please do that? We would really appreciate that as it would help us uh, spread the podcast as much as possible. And we'll talk to you next week. Thank you very much.